everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. My name is David Halperin. Uh, I am the I am Israel Policy Forum's Executive Director, filling in for our board chair and usual host, Susie Gelman. I want to welcome those of you uh, joining Israel Policy Forum for the first time today and welcome back uh, our returning viewers as well. Uh, before we begin, I want to say that we are all deeply troubled by the events unfolding in Israel and Gaza. What is happening now has life or death ramifications for thousands of Israelis and Palestinians. As we expressed in our statement this morning, Israel Policy Forum unreservedly condemns the Hamas and Islamic Jihad rocket fire, blanketing Israel and indiscriminately targeting Israelis. And we mourn the death of the Israelis who have been killed in the barrage, as well as Palestinian civilians who have been killed. I wanna note that our statement also emphasized U.S. support for the Iron Dome rocket defense system that has saved literally hundreds of Israeli and Palestinian lives by ensuring that Hamas's rockets are far less effective. We hope that the events of the past week demonstrate not only the security challenges that Israel faces, but also the need to move toward a two-state outcome that will ensure Israel's security and Palestinian self-determination. At Israel Policy Forum, we're committed to providing timely programming like today's webinar and we have a number of resources for you all to access on the current crisis. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our donors. I wanna thank our current and, and some future supporters on today's call. In this critical moment, I encourage you to make your first gift or renew your support by visiting our website at www.israelpolicyforum.org giving. I do encourage you to explore all of the resources on the present situation that Israel Policy Forum has created. We just published an explainer this morning from Israel Policy Forum's Associate Director of Policy and Communications, uh, Evan Gottesman, uh, examining how the controversy over Sheikh Jarrah, the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in East Jerusalem escalated into a wider conflict. Uh, Evan also has an op-ed in the foreword on the recent developments in Sheikh Jarrah that I encourage you all to check out. We're also pleased to announce a new timely podcast series that we actually launched last month in partnership with Terrestrial Jerusalem. This series of podcast episodes will take a look at the core issues impacting Jerusalem's role in the conflict alongside Danny Seidemann, founder of Terrestrial Jerusalem and one of the foremost experts on the city. Our latest installment we just posted this morning provides a detailed accounting of the events in Jerusalem in the past few days and all of these resources I just mentioned are going to be accessible on our website, and they'll also be emailed to you all later today, along with the recording uh, of today's briefing. Now, today's briefing has a lot to cover, and uh, the escalating crisis, security crisis with the Palestinians clearly uh, is taking place now alongside uh, the other crisis, which has been the protracted electoral stalemate in Israel. Uh, which we want to cover both issues today. And our two guests who will be joining us shortly are Neri Zilber of the Washington Institute and Tal Shalev of Walla News. And you may already be wondering, so where are our guests? And I'm sorry to, to say that they are currently uh, running a bit behind uh, as they themselves are finding themselves in bomb shelters in the Tel Aviv area amidst the latest uh, assault uh, and barrage uh, of rockets. And so we will begin with them momentarily, but I do want to encourage you all uh, to, to continue to turn to Israel Policy Forum for those resources 
uh, explaining the current situation and understanding how it all may unfold in the days to come. Uh, as we wait for uh, for Neri and Tal, uh, I want to first just set the stage a bit. Um, first, in the developments in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, really what, what we have seen in recent weeks and what we'll speak with Neri about is the development of what essentially was a perfect storm between the culmination, uh, the ending of Ramadan, the planned Supreme Court hearings on the potential eviction of Palestinian residents of the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, and the, the uh, all coinciding on Jerusalem Day, uh, a day celebrating the reunification of Jerusalem following the 67 uh, Six-Day War, uh, including a march by many, uh, uh, many Israelis uh, and many right-wing Israelis uh, directly through the old city and the Muslim quarter. And as tensions began to arise uh, really into last week and into this weekend, we began to see uh, some measures taken uh, by Israeli officials to attempt to, to quell those tensions, uh, albeit at a very late hour. That's something we'll want to discuss with Neri in particular, is why it took so long, number one, uh, to postpone the Supreme Court hearing on the one hand, uh, and number two, to uh, reroute the planned route of the march, uh, the Jerusalem Day march, which was going to march directly through the Muslim quarter of the old city again as Muslim worshipers were concluding uh, their Ramadan uh, observance for creating this kind of perfect storm. Uh, once the planned Jerusalem Day route uh, was changed, uh, the organizers uh, determined to cancel the parade altogether rather than uh, accept having to change the route. Of course, many revelers had already uh, joined in the old city, and there were still some uh, gatherings of crowds. But all of that began to take a back seat once we saw the barrage of rockets in a bizarre circumstance where Hamas and other terror organizations effectively created an ultimatum for Israel, demanding that Israeli troops withdraw from the Al-Aqsa compound, from the area of the old city, as well as from the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. And if they would not, uh, I believe it was by 9 p.m. yesterday, they would begin firing rockets. And that's exactly what, uh, what they did. Uh, in fact, we were on a, 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 an Israel Policy Forum internal staff call with our team in Jerusalem when uh, the rockets were fired and, and, and our team was forced to go uh, into their own bomb shelters and of course, uh, firing rockets um, uh, to, to indiscriminately uh, to Jerusalem uh, then uh, led to the Israeli response. Uh, and now we are here today where we've had uh, nearly as many rockets as has ever been sent. And I believe it may be more rockets and we'll, we'll check with Neri when he's able to join us. Uh, but in the last 24 hours, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of rockets uh, coming from Hamas and uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, including rockets that hit uh, an Israeli school that thankfully school was not in session during uh, that rocket uh, attack. Uh, schools closed, of course, because of this uh, escalation of violence. But of course, we've, we've now have reports of two Israelis who have been killed uh, from rocket uh, attacks. Uh, and uh, I believe we're at nearly two dozen Palestinians. The last time I had checked, 
who have been killed either in Israeli rocket attacks or, sorry, Israeli uh, uh, return uh, uh, strikes or Hamas and other terror organizations' rockets that fall that have fallen inside uh, Gaza, uh, Gaza territory. All of this happens against the backdrop of a, a, a significant change uh, in Israeli uh, politics with um, uh, the passing of the mandate going from Benjamin Netanyahu, who has failed to form a coalition, to Yair Lapid, and the question of uh, formation of, a, of, a, of an alternative change block of a coalition uh, that could signal the end of P- Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's career. Um, uh, in the midst of this weekend and the rising escalation of violence, Ra'am, the Israeli Arab Party, uh, affiliated with the Islamic movement, effectively withdrew from uh, its willingness to participate in those ongoing coalition negotiations. Um, and uh, for now, it appears any coalition talks are certainly uh, placed on hold and on the back burner with the attention rightly focused on uh, the situation in Gaza. Uh, whether this provides a lifeline of sorts for Benjamin Netanyahu to reformulate a, a, a government uh, remains remains to to be seen. Um, I'm getting reports that uh, that Tal Shalev um, is going to be unable to join us because she must now go cover a direct rocket strike in Hulon, uh, which is in ter- terribly tragic, and Neri is still in a bunker. So I may ask uh, if, if, if my colleagues, Michael Koplow or others, are able to join us um, for a conversation to, to really discuss what's happening on the ground, that would, that would be terrific. I want to um, just pick up for a moment um, where, we, where we are in terms of the, the political arrangement over the weekend. Yair Lapid had begun talks with Naftali Bennett on what has been called a so-called change coalition, but that coalition would really necessitate either the inside or outside support of the Arab Islamic Movement Party, uh, something that uh, certainly feels uh, remote given this surge in violence and places uh, into question whether we may see a greater surge toward a unity government, which could give Benjamin Netanyahu uh, a political lifeline or create the near certainty uh, of, a, 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 of a fifth election uh, in this never-ending series of electoral, uh, uh, never-ending electoral paralysis that Israel has been in, uh, which could take place in, in as early as the early, early fall. But again, as we uh, are taking note of in this, at this very moment where we have our guests, I just want to remind those who are just joining us that our guests today, Neri Zilber and Tal Shalev, have both uh, found themselves needing to be in bomb shelters because of the ongoing rocket attacks from Gaza. Tal Shalev is now on her way to cover a direct rocket attack in the area of Hulon, south of Jerusalem. We're hopeful that Neri Zilber will be able to join us momentarily, and we'll have other uh, colleagues of Israel Policy Forum joining us uh, shortly. Um, uh, to unpack the latest the, la- the latest developments, I want to go back to what started all of this in the situation of Sheikh Jarrah, uh, in particular. How did this uh, issue of Sheikh Jarrah really serve to spark 
this latest, um, more deeply round of, of the conflict. Um, and I think what we can, we can turn to is, um, again, this perfect storm of the conclusion of Ramadan, the uh, establishment of the Jerusalem Day, and the, the, the Supreme Court hearing. But to unpack what exactly is all, what, what it's all about in Sheikh Jarrah, you have to go back uh, to 1948, when Palestinian refugees uh, from inside uh, pre-1967 uh, Israel, from pre, uh, uh, who, who left their homes uh, as part of the 1948 uh, war, found themselves on the Jordanian side of Jerusalem and actually struck a deal with the United Nations and the Jordanian government to relinquish their status as refugees in order to receive um, uh, a place to live, a plot of land that the, the legal arrangement was that the transfer of ownership would take place uh, after three years of these residents renting uh, effectively uh, this uh, a building complex that was built for this specific resettlement. Um, that official land ownership was actually never passed on uh, by the Jordanian government to those Palestinian residents. Uh, and that area in particular before 1948 had been the site uh, of about uh, a small Jewish uh, community that had been evacuated uh, as part, uh, like others, um, in other places, uh, whether it's, we can think of Kfar Etzion in the West Bank or uh, uh, old communities that were nearby the old city that were uh, relocated as a result of the 48 war. I meaning meaning Jewish Israelis that relocated from what ha what uh, is today considered beyond the green line back to Israel proper, and effectively were seeking to reclaim uh, reclaim those those areas and those territories. Um, after uh, essentially legal fights emerged or legal charges or claims emerged um, that uh, questioned uh, Palestinian ownership of that land because that land was not transferred. Uh, after a series of, 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 of court uh, cases in the early 80s, it was determined that a uh, Israeli ownership uh, of this complex in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, in fact, uh, was, was proper, but the Palestinian residents could continue to rent from those Israeli owners. Since then, that ownership has transferred, and the, what amounts to Palestinian renters who have been there effectively since 1948 um, or shortly thereafter, um, uh, are now facing uh, eviction from an area of Sheikh Jarrah, uh, which is part of a, a wave of concerning uh, developments in terms of the tensions of the city, uh, where uh, certain Palestinian neighborhoods um, were, were seeing through land purchases, a number of Palestinians um, uh, either selling properties or being evicted from properties in, in, in areas where uh, Jewish Israelis are, are moving in uh, in an effort in some ways to reclaim lands lost in 1948, but also to deepen the Jewish nature of some of these uh, areas, particularly in and around uh, the old city. I'm now happy to be joined by Michael Koplow. Uh, Michael, I'm not sure if you heard some of the background I was already providing. Oh, look at this, we have Neri also. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's like all the riches at once. Hi, Neri. Hi, good evening from uh from tel aviv <laughs> so 
so quite quite a quite a quite a moment uh in the last you know i, I want to start from the very beginning um and, and really understand you know i was providing before you got on some of the background of the story of sheikh jarrah that led to this rise in conflict a little bit of the background and the political backdrop that that is behind all of the recent developments, of course, between uh, the mandate being passed over to Yair Lapid. So much to cover. But even before we start on how this all began, Neri, I want you to just share with us what happened in the last 20, 30 minutes or so um, since uh, I, it, it, I have obviously been been speaking with the audience, but I'm, but I'm curious if you can update us on the very latest. Sure. Uh, well, over the past half an hour or so we've seen uh about four or five uh barrages of rockets from uh from gaza towards central israel including tel aviv um so sirens for the first time in this uh, escalatory round uh in central israel which is a uh a major escalation and uh you know unfortunately is probably an indication of where things are headed at least in at least definitely tonight and in the next day or two um you know, obviously, uh, well, I should say there has been a report of one uh, rocket impact in the city of Holon uh, near near Tel Aviv. Uh, one or two people uh, have been injured, but otherwise, I think the Iron Dome uh, successfully handled uh, what was incoming. Uh, at least that's the latest information. Um, and yeah, the uh, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad had uh, had promised uh, a volley of rockets towards Tel Aviv. Uh, at around 9, 9 p.m. local time, uh, they they were about 10 minutes early. Uh, and this is uh, the latest from here. But obviously, it's been a, um, uh, a bloody day uh, in Israel and, and in the Gaza Strip uh, coming out of uh, really yesterday's uh, escalation in the late afternoon local time uh, by Hamas, uh, which uh, launched uh, about six rockets at Jerusalem uh, for the first time since 2014. And so we can get into the reasons, uh, as you mentioned, Sheikh Jarrah and the unrest and tensions in, in Jerusalem. But uh, but to my mind, uh, Hamas crossed uh, a very significant line yesterday afternoon uh, by launching rockets uh, at Jerusalem. And so this is uh, where we find ourselves at the moment uh, in yet another round of conflict uh, between the Israeli military and Hamas and the other Gazan factions. Neri, it seems that Hamas has been quite cautious until recently, at least in recent years. There's been really a kind of arrangement, basically, between Hamas and Israel to maintain the quiet. Uh, why now? Why why go for broke? Why why do we see Hamas, you know, going all out in this moment? How much of it has to do with the fact that Palestinian elections were recently, if at all, is it is it really a internal Palestinian elections or internal Palestinian political story? What do you make of of this change in calculus? So it's a great question, and it's a question that everyone here, uh, both uh, security professionals and uh, analysts and journalists, are trying to to answer at the moment. Uh, we should remember that. Uh, sorry, uh, I'm. By the way, I may have to uh, step out uh, for a minute if we get more more sirens. But uh, look, everyone's asking that question, uh, and you're right. Uh, Hamas, uh, especially in recent years. Cautious is is one word uh, for it. I would say a better word might be pragmatic. So what we've seen, you know, escalatory rounds between Gaza and Israel, uh, between Hamas and Israel, uh, are not new. Unfortunately, we've seen this play out: multi-day escalations, uh, rockets coming into Israel, airstrikes going into Gaza. Um, but there's usually a reason, 
there's usually a reason it's, uh, I would say, a more calibrated use of violence uh, to get tangible things, whether it's uh, money, uh, oftentimes from Qatar, uh, infrastructure development uh, from other international organizations, uh, aid, uh, work permits, greater access and movement into and out of uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, essentially an easing of the blockade. And this is the arrangement, and this is the word in Hebrew that's used, the arrangement uh, that's been indirectly negotiated between Israel and Hamas now for a number of years uh, via Egyptian and UN mediation primarily. And so Israel has been engaged in, in talks, negotiations with Hamas. Uh, you know, we will allow certain things to be provided to you as the rulers of Gaza and to the Gaza Strip and the population in the Gaza Strip, which greatly needs it. And in return, we ask for one thing, uh, and that's don't fire rockets. Uh, we're, we're asking for quiet. That's essentially been the only Israeli ask, um, you know, disarming Hamas or other long, uh, long ranging concessions aren't in the cards. Um, so it's an arrangement. It's a, it's essentially a truce. So all that being true, uh, why did Hamas fire rockets yesterday in Jerusalem? Uh, there isn't, there isn't, there wasn't a tangible ask yesterday, really. Uh, there isn't, so far as anybody knows, a tangible ask at the moment in terms of any kind of real, uh, you know, things, stuff, money, economic aid, humanitarian aid, whatever you like. Uh, really, Hamas itself, and Ismail uh, Hania, the political head of Hamas, said it earlier today. Uh, the new equation, we're tying whatever happens to Jerusalem to Gaza. If Jerusalem calls, he said, Gaza will pick up. Uh, and so that's, that's fine, and that comes in the backdrop of the, the unrest and tensions of recent weeks. Um, but it begs the question, what, what do they expect will happen? Uh, they issued an ultimatum yesterday before they fired a rocket at Jerusalem, essentially asking and demanding that Israel remove its forces from the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, compound in Jerusalem and remove its forces from Sheikh Jarrah, the, the, the neighborhood uh, in eastern Jerusalem uh, that, that has the, uh, the port uh, hearing pending. Uh, but those aren't quite realistic uh, demands because, um, well, A, for one, it's, it's a bit amorphous in terms of the, the actual ask. Uh, but two, um, they, uh, that had already essentially happened as of yesterday afternoon. So I was uh, in, in the old city in Jerusalem uh, most of yesterday, as well as uh, Sheikh Jarrah. And I have to say that despite the, the very real troubles uh, in the morning on the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, the Temple Mon compound, uh, things had stabilized and were relatively calm by the afternoon. Uh, so the Supreme Court in Israel had postponed its decision set for yesterday about Sheikh Jarrah. So the Palestinian families were not going to be uh, immediately evicted, uh, and that was pushed off. Um, you know, Jewish ultranationalists celebrating Jerusalem Day yesterday uh, in the capital were not allowed to go up to the Temple Mount, to the Al-Aqsa compound, uh, and for very good reason. It was uh, likely to just uh, fan the flames. So they were barred from going up to the Temple Mount, like they have in, in years past on Jerusalem Day. Uh, the big, yeah. No, sorry to interrupt. I was just, I, I had uh, provided a little bit of the background in terms of this okay. storm that had emerged, um, and one of the things that I, I found a bit odd in the recent the past few days, right, is that you know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, as unpredictable as these things are, the the conflict around Jerusalem Day and this perfect storm we right. saw coming a week ago. Um, why did it take so long for some of these decisions to be made? And do you think that there's criticism that's warranted here or, 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 or not? 
look, I think it's warranted. Uh, I know that Tal Shalev may be coming on after me, so you can ask her uh, the tough political questions. Uh, Tal uh, has to go cover the rocket attack on Hulon, so may not be able to join us. So Michael Coppola is going to oh. cover. Go. Okay, so uh, they're sending Tal into uh, into the thick of it. Um, yes. You know, look, uh, the the criticism is warranted. Uh, Netanyahu whether by malign neglect or active meddling, uh, did not work harder. Him and his, uh, him and his uh, ministers responsible for, for security uh, on the ground in Jerusalem to contain the unrest. Um, I think that's, that's all true. Uh, I think you know, a lot of it was just his, his attention was elsewhere in terms of uh, the coalition talks and domestic politics. Uh, some of it might have been trying to at least uh, fan the flames a little bit and appeal to uh, to his uh, kind of right-wing base. Uh, all that may be true, but in the money time, yesterday afternoon, when hard decisions had to be made, he actually stepped back from the brink and worked to de-escalate uh, at a price, I would say, uh, in terms of his own right-wing base, who were furious that the march was, uh, was first rerouted and then on their own volition canceled. So, uh, so he paid a price and he took the correct decision. Uh, Netanyahu did uh, after several weeks of of unrest in the capital. Uh, the better question, I think, and this is probably what you wanted me to get to, is why, why is Hamas doing this now? And, and so the answer is that they're not looking for tangible things. Uh, the only other explanation is political calculation, that they deem it in their political interest uh, to, to escalate now, to fire rockets. Uh, this wasn't a miscalculation. Um, this was a very concerted effort to fire rockets uh, towards Jerusalem. Um, and given uh, how they likely knew Israel would respond and, and almost how Israel would have to respond, especially this government at this particular moment, uh, what we're seeing now is, um, is almost inevitable in terms of the, uh, the, the blowback. Uh, political calculations, why, uh, you may ask? That might be the next question. Uh, look, we can, we can speculate. Hamas is always a very interesting um, organization to analyze, uh, quite opaque. Uh, in many respects, uh, but also predictable, except for um, you know the unpredictability of what they're doing now. Uh, to my mind, there are three political reasons: internal Hamas calculations, uh, the, the Palestinian arena writ large, and Jerusalem uh, at the centerpiece, and then possibly uh, domestic Israeli politics. Um, so, number one, the political reason in terms of internal Hamas. Um, so, the arrangement that I laid out that Hamas has been engaged with with Israel now for a number of years. Is, uh, is the baby of Yahya Sinwar. Uh, Yahya Sinwar, uh, he was in Israeli jail for, for 20 plus years. Uh, he was released uh, during the Gilad Shalit deal um, and rose to become essentially the de facto head of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Uh, so Sinwar, uh, when I talk about you know, the, the pragmatic or calibrated use of violence, this is really the Sinwar uh, approach um, that we're gonna escalate uh, in certain calibrations uh, to extract uh, concessions from Israel, and that worked. That worked. Um, the question is, did it work far enough uh, in terms of the population in Gaza, and perhaps in terms of other rivals within the Hamas movement? Uh, about two months ago, Hamas had internal elections, and it came as a surprise to everybody that Sinwar almost lost. He almost lost his position as head of Hamas in Gaza, uh, and there was a, a, a kind of rival movement within, within Hamas uh, who's deemed to be a bit more traditional, um, this is kind of more the old guard of Hamas, uh, a bit more hardline. And so it was almost on the razor-thin margin of uh, a few votes that Sinwar uh, continued as the head of Hamas. So he might be feeling his own internal pressure 
within the movement. Uh, and I think it's indicative that last week, uh, Mohammed Diff, uh, he's essentially the military commander of Hamas, a uh, very shadowy figure, doesn't really issue public statements at all. Um, many believe also that he was uh, gravely wounded in an Israeli airstrike many years ago, and but yet is still uh, firmly in control of the Hamas military wing, the Qassam Brigade. He was the one that issued the threat to Israel in terms of Sheikh Jarrah and, and uh, the, the unrest in Jerusalem. So it wasn't Sinwar uh, who issued the ultimatum. And you could say that uh, Mohammed Def and the military wing uh, made good on that threat. So that's number one in terms of internal Hamas politics. Uh, number two, and, and perhaps most importantly, uh, internal, the Palestinian arena uh, and its uh, competition with uh, its rivals in, in Fatah and the Palestinian Authority. So as we all know, uh, the biggest issue in Palestinian politics recently were, were elections. Uh, were elections until about a week and a half ago when uh, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas canceled the elections abruptly, uh, with the reason given that Israel was not going to allow voting in East Jerusalem. Now, we all likely know that the real reason was that uh, Abbas's Fatah faction, one of three Fatah factions running in this election, uh, could have done quite poorly. So it was arguably in his own interest to uh, postpone the elections and perhaps cancel the elections. Uh, and yet, you know, we should remember that this election push was very much embraced by Hamas as a way to uh, gain legitimacy, gain a foothold in various Palestinian governing institutions, and perhaps gain, regain a foothold in the West Bank. And so if this political route was canceled for Hamas, um, it likely saw no inhibition in terms of of escalating and, and perhaps embarrassing or trying to embarrass Mahmoud Abbas and Fatah uh, on the ground where it hurts them, uh, Jerusalem and the West Bank. Yeah, Larry, uh, it strikes me that we obviously have seen rockets from Gaza. We saw the unrest in Jerusalem. I think last night we had unrest in some Israeli Arab towns uh, as well. The only place that remains calm yet again seems to be the West Bank. Where does the Palestinian Authority sit in all of that's happened over the last 48, 72 hours, what is its role, if any? Uh, and what do you make of the continued calm uh, throughout the West Bank? So I'll, I'll cage this somewhat. You're right that out of all, arguably, the arenas uh, in, the, in Israel-Palestine, the West Bank has been probably the, the most stable uh, in recent uh, days and weeks. Uh, last night, you did see demonstrations and violent riots at uh, many friction points in the West Bank, um, but I checked uh, with various sources and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary, uh, perhaps dozens, maybe maybe a hundred or two uh, demonstrators, so not a mass mobilization uh, that had actually been called for by Fatah uh, and Abbas's faction uh, a few days ago. So they didn't actually, they didn't actually uh, follow through on their threats, uh, not in any sense that we can, that we can see and feel on the ground. And I think that's an indication of uh, you know, there's rhetoric one side and, and you know, the political and security reality on the other. Uh, and it shows that uh, they are perhaps, uh, not perhaps, definitely uh, more responsible than uh, than a terrorist organization like Hamas, uh, which has now escalated uh, into a major, major cycle of violence uh, for no apparent tangible reason except uh, its own political standing. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, I do want to uh, encourage questions. I already see we have a, a number of folks who uh, have asked questions. Um, you can do so by clicking on the Q&A uh, uh, section or um, typing it in the Q&A uh, chat. 
Um, we already have a, a bunch, but I, I want to cover sort of two more broader questions before uh, we get to some of those questions. And I want to bring Michael in to also get his thoughts on some of the political issues at stake here. But as the cycle goes, and I hate to use that phrase cycle, but we've seen this movie before. Uh, at some point, usually you'd see uh, an Egyptian mediated uh, ceasefire effort begin. Uh, do we expect that we're going to see that same situation play out uh, with the Egyptians? Or are we anywhere near that uh, that that step uh, in this process where people are beginning to speak with the Egyptians? And it strikes me that you know, the primary uh, actor in recent years has been Nikolai Mladenov, the UN special envoy, who's been involved in a lot of shuttle diplomacy to try to calm tensions like these. Um, is the new envoy uh, playing that same role? Um, it, I, I wonder if you could just give uh, some sense of the diplomatic efforts that either are underway or or might be. So uh, there have been reports in the Arab press that Egypt and Qatar have been trying to uh, to mediate. Uh, we should remember that Qatar, despite not having diplomatic relations with Israel, is heavily involved uh, in Gaza uh, with Israeli permission and, and coordination. So uh, those efforts may be just starting now. Uh, but you know, you mentioned the politics of of this all. I, I don't see uh, a real, especially now, what we saw now in Tel Aviv. I don't think uh, any Israeli government, and definitely not this Israeli government under Bibi Netanyahu at this current moment, uh, stopping uh, the fighting anytime soon. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, they will have to respond uh, quite forcefully tonight and likely into tomorrow vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Gaza Strip. Uh, so I wouldn't expect any diplomatic breakthroughs uh, just yet. Uh, but, you know, we talked about cycles. It's not, it's not a, a great word, I agree. Uh, but this thing will end likely in a few days through UN and Egyptian and Qatari mediation, uh, and it will have changed nothing except, uh, you know, dead on both sides. And so that 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 is how it it will end. It's just a question of uh, how many days and uh, will have to pass, and how many lives will have to have been lost before we get there. Uh, and by the way, the UN uh, Maldonov, uh, as you said, the UN envoy here that sits in Jerusalem. Uh, had done a terrific job during his tenure here, uh, mediating, especially with regard to Gaza, uh, and and kind of defusing these uh, these rounds of violence. Uh, but the new envoy um, is well briefed uh, on this file. Uh, he's a veteran diplomat, veteran Norwegian diplomat uh, that that uh, has been stationed in Jerusalem before, uh, and so the UN envoy office here uh, will continue to play that role, uh, hopefully as effectively as as Nikolai did. Great, Michael, uh, I mean, we can go in so many directions. I have a lot of questions, particularly about the Sheikh Jarrah story and why now, uh, why were the Palestinians being evicted? Were they not paying rent? What was the motivation beh behind evicting them? Uh, I know this is laid out in great detail in the explainer on our website, but Michael, I'm curious, uh, or, or Neri, you want to tackle that? And I also just want to know, uh, uh, Michael, from your perspective, we're getting a lot of questions on how the political atmosphere in the United States uh, or with the change of administration may it be impacting the broader arena. Uh, and uh, we're also getting questions about the Israeli police activity on the Temple Mount and what exactly was happening there. So we can do a kind of popcorn hop, hop around to any of these questions. Uh, but Michael, I also want to throw on another question, which is that just a broader political context inside Israel 
does this give Benjamin Netanyahu another another life? Or is it too soon to tell? Are we just too too much in the thick of it to, to know what the ramifications are? But Michael, I'm going to pass it to you and ask you to, to pick any of those questions you'd like. Sure. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start with the first one uh, with regard to Sheikh Jarrah. Um, you know, the, the timing of this, um, you know, you, you may have noted, you may have noted up front, but the timing of this in a lot of ways is a perfect storm uh, in terms of um, the breakdown of agreements between uh, the Sheikh Jarrah families uh, and the, the organizations um, that assert ownership to uh, to the buildings. The court had directed the two sides to negotiate uh, over over an agreement whereby the families would would pay rent. Um, that agreement uh, broke down, and so there was supposed to be a Supreme Court hearing yesterday um, on the issue, which of course you know was going to be coming uh, a couple of weeks after we first saw violence in Jerusalem. Uh, you know the uh, attacks on Haredi Jews that were posted on TikTok, the Lehava march uh, through uh, through Jerusalem to the to the walls of the old city near Damascus Gate. Uh, then of course, uh, Ramadan, the restrictions that the Israeli police put around the steps around Damascus Gate, which is the big gathering place during Ramadan. Um, the efforts to stop Israeli Arabs from getting to the Temple Mount the other day, where people may have seen the images or videos of uh, people getting out of buses and, and walking along the side of the highway. Uh, and, you know, of course, coinciding with Ramadan, coinciding with Yom Yerushalayim, um, all of this, you know, is just sort of at a boiling point at the same time. And, you know, you, you obviously that you, you can't control when when events happen, but it does seem like just uh, a confluence of, um, you know, flashpoint after flashpoint after flashpoint uh, all coming at the same time. Um, in terms of you know the actions of the Israeli police, I'll I'll leave that you know to, to Neri because he's on he's on the ground and has been and I'm not. I'll just quickly say on that um, that you know from afar it seems as if um, the police have acted in a way that wasn't necessarily attuned to some of the warnings that were coming from uh, the larger security establishment, particularly uh, IDF and uh, and the Shin Bet. Uh, and you also have this situation still where, uh, you know, the the acting police commissioner is an acting police commissioner, uh, wasn't appointed through through the normal channels, um, you know, as is much of the case with uh, the the stuff around Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, over over the past couple of years. And I think there are some you know questions there as well um, on the larger kind of political context. Then I'll I'll turn things back over to Neri. Um, I've uh, as, as some people may know, you know, I, I've been I've been more skeptical than most that the uh, pro-change bloc was going to be able to come to an agreement to form a government to replace Netanyahu. But, you know, my skepticism aside, they seem to be making lots of progress uh, over the past week. And, you know, there were even reports uh, on Sunday or Monday that they were going to try to finalize it this week so that they could actually uh, have a, you know, have a, a government formed and sworn in right after Shavuot next week. Um, if that were to happen, it was going to have to come with, at a minimum, uh, the outside support of Mansour Abbas and Ra'am. Otherwise, the numbers are not there. Um, and it's very difficult for me to see now how that happens. It's difficult for me to see how um, any, you know, any of the parties in the pro-change bloc, but certainly Yamina Tikbah Khadashah, even Yeshatid, are going to um, form a government right now with this, with this going on. It's, and it, perhaps on the other side, it's even more difficult to envision Ram, the United Arab List, 
agreeing to join the government under these circumstances. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is um, much of the tension in Jerusalem and, and you know, many of the, the Palestinians who've been on the streets um, are Israelis, Israeli Arabs from northern Israel. Um, many of them are religious. These are a lot of the people who are kind of in, in Ram's constituency. And the idea that Mansour Abbas, as much as his program has been, you know, hey, let's effectively let's act like the Haredi, you know, let's um, let's join the government and let's get let's get the budgets that that are that we deserve and let's be more integrated. It's harder to to see that through when a lot of the people who are in your base are also the ones who are right now um, the most agitated and the most upset over events in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and Sheikh Jarrah. So, um, you know, I th I think that this probably gives. Prime Minister Netanyahu a bit of a lifeline. And, uh, you know, as much as I thought that uh, there was still a greater than 50% chance of going to a fifth election, I think that now, you know, uh, I don't see a way, I don't see a way out of that. Do you want me to tackle those three issues? David? Yeah, I'm curious if you have anything to add, particularly on the, the story of, of the police. We have, we have, an, we had a number of questions, particularly early on about, you know, Certainly, the Sheikh Jarrah eviction story, but also the, the the activities of the Israeli police. I wonder if you could check up on those two issues. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Sheikh Jarrah, I think Michael is is absolutely right. It was more a coincidence and a confluence of, of various events that made Sheikh Jarrah uh, what it is, uh, what it has become in, in recent weeks. Uh, um, you know, this has been an ongoing court case for for years. Uh, there have been demonstrations every Friday uh, at Sheikh Jarrah for years that nobody. Uh, quite paid attention to, uh, but it was seized on as um, as a symbol, and I would say, uh, in many respects, correctly, uh, as as a uh, severe and almost blatant double standard in terms of property rights uh, in Jerusalem and what's allowed for absentee, uh, let's say, Jewish uh, property holders and and absentee Palestinian property holders. Um, and I was in Sheikh Jarrah uh, yesterday on this particular. Street and it's it's quite uh, unbelievable uh, how they live and how um, how essentially Jewish Israeli settlers live in in the homes built by local Palestinians who have been living there uh, since the 1950s. Uh, so I think it's all for the good that the, the Supreme Court uh, delayed its decision about the family's appeal. Uh, I think it would probably be even better if it was overturned and some kind of uh, deal could be reached, um, but that's a separate issue uh, for now. Uh, in terms of the police, uh, look, um, the Israel police uh, is oftentimes in an impossible situation. Uh, so it's not just unrest in Jerusalem, it's unrest uh, uh, with protesters in Tel Aviv in Jerusalem, it's going out, you know, uh, stopping ultra-Orthodox protesters and, uh, and so on and so forth. Everybody protests in this country. Um, overall, uh, Israel does allow uh, freedom of worship on the Temple Mount, at Al-Aqsa, at the Haram al-Sharif. Um, overall, uh, you know, it's, the police are there to to maintain stability and order. Uh, in recent weeks, and especially as Michael said, at the start of Ramadan, there were several, I would say, needless um, pokes in the eye to the local community in and around the old city, uh, denial of access and movement to the Haram al-Sharif. Uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, and that just uh, further inflamed uh, the tensions on the ground. Uh, and in terms of in recent in recent uh, days, the clashes on the Haram al-Sharif, uh, 
you know, I, I, yes, the Israel police could have absolutely done a better job, uh, especially firing stun grenades into the mosque itself uh, was completely probably unnecessary. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there was a case, especially yesterday morning, where at dawn prayers, uh, several thousand Palestinians who had spent the night there at a stockpiled rocks uh, attacked the police uh, that are that are always stationed uh, in and around the Haram. And so, you know, the question needs to be asked. Uh, there was no denial of uh, of access and prayer. They were already on the mount. Uh, and so they were looking, I think, to create um, a confrontation, uh, especially on Jerusalem Day, uh, which, you know, various actors, including Hamas, uh, were probably looking for. Uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely. I think the Israel police and, and the Netanyahu government could have and, and definitely should have done a better job handling the unrest in Jerusalem. Uh, in terms of the politics, uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think a lot will depend on what happens in the next few days in terms of the security escalation, uh, but it has already put uh, Ram, the Islamist party, uh, who is going to be part in some form or fashion of this uh, anti-Netanyahu coalition that was being formed in a very tough spot, in a very tough spot. Uh, and I talked about Hamas's motivations earlier. I think, you know, it shouldn't be ruled out that they, they were trying to embarrass this particular Islamist party and their chairman, uh, Mansour Abbas, uh, and that they were trying to perhaps uh, stop uh, what was a real rapprochement between at least parts of the Arab-Israeli uh, community uh, and its relationship to the Israeli government. Um, really unprecedented uh, uh, you know, efforts, uh, at least in part of the Arab-Israeli community, to, uh, to engage in the usual horse trading of, of Israeli politics uh, and to get those benefits that Michael uh, rightly pointed out, and that uh, are theirs by right, uh, since they are citizens of Israel. Uh, and so the Ra'am, this Islamist party, would be the would be the vehicle in order to secure those uh, those budgets and those benefits. Um, so that's that's Ra'am. Uh, it remains to be seen. He suspended talks uh, yesterday uh, after the the escalation, after the rockets. Um, Bennett, Naftali Bennett, Gideon Saar, and Yari Lapid are are continuing their talks. Uh, carefully and cautiously, uh, but it's, it's a tough situation uh, to be in because they have to come out and they already have in support of the Netanyahu government, uh, while at the same time actively and, and, and currently trying to replace it. Uh, and so the real issue too is how Naftali Bennett, the Amina party, uh, it's kind of pro-settler right-wing party, um, also responds because uh, that is a, uh, a, the weak link perhaps in any future coalition rising. Uh, thanks, Neri, for that. I, I, I wonder, you know, we have reports now there, there's a woman killed in, in Rishon Lezion because of a rocket attack, uh, attacks in, in Hulon, Givatayim. Um, this situation is still unfolding in the hours to come. And, and the story of this this round is, is clearly we're, we're, we're not we haven't seen the end of it. But amidst all this, uh, Michael, I wonder what you what you might say of where is what does the United States do amidst all of this? What has been said? What's uh, what are we hearing from Washington? Uh, what would what, what what would you uh, encourage uh, be done from the United States in in, in all of this? The Biden administration, uh, as everyone knows, this is this is not a secret. <laughs> um, 
you know, has wanted to deprioritize the Middle East in general. And on top of that, has wanted to deprioritize the Israeli-Palestinian conflict even more. Um, to the extent that the Biden administration wants to be involved in the Middle East, so far it has been trying to figure out how, how and whether to rejoin the JCPOA or you know, how, to, uh, how to get a, a follow-on uh, JCPOA 2.0. Um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, is just very low on their radar. And up until now, I, I think their approach has really been, um, you know, it, it's, it's great to have some small victories, but they'd sort of rather not deal with it uh, in a comprehensive way or even uh, really in, a, in, in you know, a, a, an involved way uh, at all. And, um, you know, you see this just by dint of the fact uh, that there is still no ambassador who's been uh, appointed to Israel, which is, you know, unusual given, given that we're already in, in mid-May. Um, there, you know, still is no assistant secretary for Near East. Um, you know, uh, there is, uh, there is no, no special envoy and, you know, they've said at the beginning, they weren't going to appoint one. Um, I'll you know, say that was the decision I agreed with, but, you know, at this point, um, you know, without, uh, without an assistant secretary for Near East State and without a special envoy and without an ambassador to Israel, you know, all this is really falling on, um, uh, our, uh, our, our friend Hadi Amr, who, uh, who's the deputy assistant secretary of state for Israeli-Palestinian affairs. And, you know, this would be too much to overwhelm anybody. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there are people who, you know, want Washington to get involved in a bigger way. And I think that, you know, we're going to have to. Traditionally, the United States, um, as important as Egypt, obviously, is in these situations. And, you know, Neri mentioned Qatar as well. And obviously, the Jordanians. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's generally the U.S. that steps in and kind of um, oversees this process uh, of de-escalation from a 30,000-foot level. And um, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's tough for us to do that right now. And I think that the calls for the U.S. to um, get more involved in a real way and, and, uh, and kind of manage this, manage this more actively, uh, I'm certainly only going to increase. And, you know, we've seen just the last day, lots of statements and tweets uh, from members of Congress um, concerned about, of course, the rockets from Hamas. Um, last week, we saw lots of tweets and statements from members of Congress about Sheikh Jarrah. Um, certainly, you know, Congress kind of on all sides of this um, is making a lot of noise over the past few days. And I think that um, the administration is, is going to have to follow suit um, whether they want to or not. And, you know, on top of that, one of the goals of the administration has been to, to expand or deepen or uh, build upon the Abraham Accords uh, that were forged in the previous administration. This is sort of the first test in some ways, right, of, of, of these new alliances that Israel has with some of these Gulf states. And I'm curious what we've seen thus far from, from those, those states um, that have thus far, uh, it's all been sort of, uh, you know, friendship and, and roses with Israel and, and growing economic ties. Now we have a, a real genuine conflict. And I wonder if it's testing uh, those new relationships at all, or if, uh, the joint animosity toward Hamas is is sort of uh, only bringing them further together. What does it mean for the future of these expanded relations between Israel and the Gulf states? I'll go to Neri on that one. Uh, I think you're right, David. Uh, it's the first real test. Uh, it's the first real escalation uh, in Israel-Palestine since the Abraham Accords were were signed, uh, especially in you know relating to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, which is the third holiest site in Islam, as we all know. So they, uh, several of the states, especially the new states that have signed 
uh, peace deals with, with Israel, uh, came out very forcefully condemning Israel uh, for what it viewed as violations uh, in and around Al-Aqsa. Uh, the, the Emirati statement actually was, uh, was quite forceful, and the Emirates were obviously the first and uh, the, most, the most warm uh, of the states that have, that have normalized with Israel. And so I think, uh, I think it speaks to um, perhaps not the centrality of the Palestinian issue, but the centrality of Jerusalem in, in the Muslim and Arab world, uh, and that's not going to change. Uh, and I would say in terms of diplomacy and, and uh, containing the unrest, I think they, they may and arguably should uh, play a more active role uh, in terms of at least engaging with the Israeli side uh, in trying to, uh, to contain uh, what's likely going to be a very fierce response to uh, what we just saw over the past hour. Uh, I think the Arab states, especially the newer Arab states that have signed peace deals with Israel and the Biden administration are perhaps the only real international actors that this Israeli government uh, will listen to seriously. Um, and I say that with sadness, uh, but I think that's the reality of the situation. Uh, but anyone expecting them to uh, suspend the peace deals and suspend ties with Israel um, over this escalation, I don't think... Uh, it's a quite realistic uh, understanding of, of what motivated them to sign these deals in the first place. Well, and a great deal of what motivated them was, of course, Iran. And, you know, I, I, I hate to, you know, even have to ask the question of whether this could lead to, you know, further escalation of, of, of more regional conflict. But I'm curious if you could speak a bit to, you know, Iran's role, obviously supporting uh, groups in, in Hamas um, with rising tensions recently between uh, Israel and Iran over the nuclear program. How does that fit in uh, when you think of this current crisis and how we could see a, an escalation further? Are, are you concerned about that? Maybe say a word about how Iran fits into this broader story. Uh, I personally don't view Iran as the central actor in what's been happening here uh, in recent days and weeks. Uh, I think Iran is obviously looking on and, and very, very happy at what's been happening. Uh, and we all know that Ham, uh, Iran is is a backer of uh, both Hamas and especially Islamic Jihad in Gaza uh, in terms of uh, funding and, and arms, uh, especially uh, rocket know-how. Uh, so we've seen Hamas claim they were firing newer rockets earlier this afternoon at, at southern Israel uh, with heavier, uh, heavier payloads. Um, and that might be true. And that might be uh, perhaps Iranian know-how uh, deployed by uh, the Gazan factions. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I don't think you need to stray too far for an explanation uh, as to why things are, are unraveling here on, here on the ground. Uh, Israelis and Palestinians are uh, well-versed enough to, uh, to mishandle their own affairs uh, without outside actors trying to, uh, to meddle for their own benefit. Yeah. Uh, Michael, any any concluding thoughts you want to add before we before we sign off? Uh, you know, only that um, I think I think it was fair to to speculate a few hours ago that perhaps things would um, would de-escalate. Um, you know, there were reports that that I've, I've seen on uh, reports I've seen on on Twitter from from uh, some reporters and other folks that. Uh, Hamas would be shout, uh, you know, with the message, and, uh, and the Egyptians have been trying to get in touch with the Israelis. Um, but you know, following the most recent barrage that uh, <laughs> that, that, that sent Neri 
into uh, into you know his his stairwell, um, and the fact that you know you had the direct hit in Cholon, and uh, you know another person told him Rishon Lezion. You know, at this point, um, I, I think this is going to go on, and I think that um, you know any Israeli government, um, you know, let alone a, let alone a government that's now trying to stay afloat um, after elections, but really any Israeli government at this point uh, really, you know, has to um, respond in a, in a real way and not sort of just kind of to check a box. I, I think there's going to be an effort now to you know, really root out Hamas. Um, and, you know, there are reports that tanks are now heading south to the Gaza border. And um, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon, you know, as much as, uh, as much as I think there were reasonable hopes for it uh, a couple of hours ago. So, you know, we should all just um, keep uh, keep our, our Israeli friends and colleagues uh, in our thoughts. The same for Palestinians uh, in Gaza, who I think are probably about to go through a, uh, a very rough time as well. Um, and hopefully, you know, somebody can can step in and sort this out. Uh, well said, Michael. Thanks to Neri for joining us under the circumstances. And, and we'll connect back with Tal Shalev for those to reminder Tal had to had to cover the uh, rocket attack on Hulod. And so thanks, Michael Koplow, for for, for stepping in, in in Tal's absence. I just want to note for all of those uh, who are with us, all of our resources from Israel Policy Forum are now compiled in a single uh, web page, the podcast, the explainer of the situation that led to this, a recording of this uh, webinar will be there uh, and, and more. You can go to ipf.li slash Jerusalem Gaza. That's ipf.li slash Jerusalem Gaza. Uh, please uh, stay tuned uh, there for more resources. Follow us on social media. We will, of course, be in touch with our entire network about upcoming opportunities to continue to follow the developments on the ground. Thanks again, Michael and Neri. Thanks all for joining us. Uh, and we will we will connect with you all very soon. Be well, uh, Neri and Israel. And um, uh, we will we will see you all next time. Thank you all for joining. Mm-hmm.